Hello, and welcome to Rock, Paper, Swords, the historical action and adventure podcast. My name is Matthew Harfey. My name is Stephen A. McKay. We are both best-selling historical fiction authors, and together we chat about all things historical and anything that could fall under the banner of action and adventure in books, film, TV and games. Oh, and we also talk about rock music from time to time. Our guest today is the prolific author of historical fiction, Griff Hosker. It seems to me that Griff writes faster than many people read. He's written a series of action-packed books covering everything from the Vikings to the Second World War and everything in between. He's a constant presence on Amazon lists and social media, and I, for one, am often in awe at the quantity of books he puts out and the number of steadfast fans he has garnered over the years. It's great to finally meet and have a chance to put some questions to him. Perhaps we'll find out how he does it. Welcome to Rock Paper Swords, Griff. Thank you. Yes, I, there, there's. Uh, I was working out today before I came on. I've written twenty-one different series. The longest series has twenty-two books in it. That's the Viking one, the Dragon Heart, and the second one is the Anarchy series. That's got twenty twenty-one in it. Um, and how, how how do I do it? Well, this morning, yes, I, go, I get up every morning at six o'clock, put a pot of coffee on, edit what I did yesterday by edit, just read through what I did and find all the errors and then start writing. And I stop writing at 11 o'clock. By then I'll have done 5,000 words. Wow. So you write 5,000 words in five hours? Yeah, a bit of editing in there at the beginning as well. Well, read, yeah, yeah, read yeah, first, yeah, yeah. And then, and then uh, it does vary. Uh, like for example, today my wife and I were editing the book that's coming out in I think it's January or February. So I didn't get five thousand words done because we then we sit in in this study and and we edit the books together. Um, I, I do it that way. Before I start writing, um, I mean I've got a lot of work to do on the research. I do a ton of research to make sure that I get it all right. And, yeah. and not normally I do. I mean, as you know, occasionally you don't. And then you get somebody who says, oh, no, no. They <laughs> yeah, didn't use that weapon until, you know, the 5th of January. You had it on the 4th. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's incredible. So do you know the actual total number of books then? Because you told us that I mean, you've written more series than most people have written books. So. 185 books. 185 books. That I started is... in uh, – I was a teacher – and then a consultant. And in 2010, I was made redundant, came home and thought, well, I can't sit and do nothing. So in 2011, I, I started writing my first book. Um, and that was that was pre-Amazon, really, and pre-Kindle, I suppose, because I couldn't get published. I sent letter after letter and, you know, and then uh, the Feeder Read, that's the Arts Council. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. 
Yeah, they, mm -hmm. they printed my first book and it sold about 10 copies, nine to people I knew and one to another one. And it was only when Kindle came along and I was able to get published. And it was slowly, slowly at first, you know, I just didn't get very much. And then my son said, uh, look, Dad, let's get some decent covers instead of the rubbish ones you're doing. We've got a company and I've got the figures. It went from, I think it was something like uh, 800 books a month I was selling to 5,000 books a month I was selling. Right. And now it's it varies between 10, uh, 10,000 and 18,000 books a month. <laughs> so it just, it just varies. That's incredible. You know. That's just and, incredible. But the, the thing the, is, get a, uh, people still look down on self-publishing, and yet you're selling maybe 10,000 plus a month. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, how can anybody dare to look down at those kind of numbers? Readers well, obviously enjoy them. Well, can I say, I, did, I do have, I did have a deal with, it started off as a company called Endeavour, who became Lume, that is now Joffe. Um, and I wrote five books for them. And it, it was about four books too many. Um, and <laughs> and that really, I got peanuts for it. I mean, they've sold more than any other books, so it does work having a publisher. But if I say that my worst-selling series has made me more money yeah. than the one that's my best-selling series, and that's because of, of the publishers. I mean, they, what they did was they've just published the five books I did for them um, put it in one volume and and sold it for 99p. Yeah. Which, yes, we sold a lot of them, and I think I got 10p a book for them. <laughs> I'm not in it for the money. I mean, the money's, to be honest, if anyone tells you teachers get lousy pensions, they're lying. They get great pensions. I could easily live off my teacher's pension. Um, so it's not about the money. But it's, as Matthew said, I've, I have rapport with my readers. I've stayed with my readers. You know, I went to New Zealand and stayed with a couple of them. I've stayed with them in America. Um, I have a, an awful, uh, some great conversations with them. Um, and they, in the morning when I do edit, I'm also answering all the emails from every single reader. Yeah. So every reader that, you know, wants to can talk to me. I just, it's respect, really. They buy your books. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't for them, I mean, I did, I was just looking at, I was selling some, I sold some books online. Yeah, you know, I've got a little online bookstore, you know, yeah. on, my, on my webpage. And I sold a couple of books, directly signed copies. And I was just looking at one of them. I I was looking at the dedication, you know, at the front of the book, because I couldn't remember who it was. And it, it says, you know, this is dedicated to all my readers and everybody who's taken the, the, the time to leave a review and everything, because it really, without them, you know, we, we couldn't do what we do. There's no point in doing it if nobody reads your books, is there really? Yeah, I, I, I just tell you, I must tell you a story about a reader because this is. I, I did a talk at Bose Museum not long ago um, for the English Heritage. It was a really nice talk, but I told this story and they thought it was, uh, first of all, amusing, but also fascinating. At Easter, I was on holiday with my wife in the Algarve. I got an email from a reader. I answered them even on holiday. And this is what the email said it said, Griff, I'm one of your. Uh, fans and I love reading your books and I'm a retired librarian and I love your attention to detail and your research. A few years ago, my husband had a wound to his toe, which necessitated amputation. However, because of COVID, I was told I had to care for him and his injured toe. I remembered reading in your Dragonheart books about treating wounds, the Vikings treating wounds with honey, vinegar and herbs. 
So I made him a poultice every day from honey, vinegar and herbs. Three years later, my husband has all his toes. I know you didn't intend it, but thank you for saving my husband's toes. That's brilliant. And it's funny because I've got I've got the thing about the poultice thing as well in yeah. some of my books. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's right. I mean, we research, don't we? Yeah. And, and, and put it in there. And it's just and I just love this this idea of researching. Um, and that's where I spend most of my time doing. You know, I don't I don't read much fiction, but I do read a ton of nonfiction and find out the most amazing stuff, which I try and put in my books. And, and then when I put it in, you know, you get people who don't believe it there's another one where i i wrote um <laughs> a series about the vikings going to america yep, right? yep. so I, I did it properly started off in england they go to iceland i've never been to iceland but they didn't stay there long then they went to newfoundland well i went to newfoundland in 1917 with due respect to newfoundland it's a god-awful place and the <laughs> vikings weren't stupid so i have them sailing further south and i've been to uh, Nova Scotia, that's lovely, and Cape Breton. And I've been to Maine. I thought, go to Maine. Lovely, jubbly. So they hadn't gone to Maine. They found this island, they settled there, published a book, and then waited for the flack, you know, the, oh, you can't do that. The one email I got was from a, an American archaeologist who said he'd been excavating in the bay I'd written about, and he'd discovered a stratified 10th century Danish coin. No, I didn't. I didn't know that. I just made it up, and I keep yeah. saying I make stuff up for a living. Uncannily, a lot of it is true. Well, there you go. And once you're in a ship and you're on the coast, why wouldn't you carry yeah, on? When you go for so that's, that's the way I write. Yeah, that's the way I write. So I, I kind of, and when you said before about the series, I actually like writing in series. But the way I write is, I don't write a whole series at once. Mm. So I've just written. I'm, at the moment, I'm writing a book um, about uh, Canute. But the last book I did was the first in a new series about Gustavus Adolphus and the Thirty Years' War. Because I like changing, going from one period, and then yeah. when I go back to the you've really got to research and get back into the characters. Yeah, definitely. And then the next book will be about, um, uh, it'll be my Border Night series, so that will be about uh, Henry the Henry the Sixth. So, I, I, you know, I'm kind of, I, I just flick around from series to series because that's, that's... That's really interesting, writing. yeah. I've started doing that um, myself recently. So this last sort of twelve months or whatever, eighteen months, I've I've written um, st stuff in the early Viking period, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I've written some nineteenth century stuff for the first time, yeah, yeah. and now I'm writing seventh century. So, and I've really found it a challenge, but at the same time, kind of in I don't know whether I like it or not, but, no, it but it's a real hard. challenge that jumping yeah, back from one to the other. Hard. I, I, I think it keeps you fresh. But the other thing for me is I found when I was writing and I did do the Saxon series and the Viking series fairly close. And I sometimes made mistakes where I've used that plot line. I've used <laughs> that story. I've used that name. You know, I've, I, I, well, I've definitely had the name thing and sort yeah. of plot lines. I've realized as I wrote the synopsis of two or three books, these yeah. three books, actually, I'm working on now. I wrote the synopsis for all three of them at the same time about a year ago and I get, sent them to the publisher and sort of said, what, you know, what do you think? And I realized as I'm writing this, this one, I'm thinking this, the bits of this that seem quite familiar to... <laughs> because they all sort of, they all leak into each other. I mean, it's difficult, you know, you've only, we've only got one brain, right? And so we, I think we keep coming back to the same themes as well. And there's yeah, certain things yeah. that yeah, 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 yeah. you sort of find interesting. And so yeah, sort of, yeah. I mean, I've had some, I've had some, um, one of the other techniques I use, and I don't know how, where this has come from when I, I 
I was a teacher and I learned about learning theory and how people learn. And, and you know, you, if you want a child to learn something, you get them to do it on five consecutive days, exactly the same thing, and they're more likely to learn it. But also, revising for an exam, when you read, the last thing, you, if you read something at night, and then first thing in the morning, you'll remember it. So what I do is when I'm going to sleep and, you know, dozing off, I run through what I've written that day. So it's, it kind of populates my head. And I can't remember my dream, but it doesn't matter because when I get up, I'm ready to start writing. Yeah, it's all sorted out your head. Yeah, it's it's actually up there. I don't know how it works. I'm not no medical background, despite the toe. But I, I basically, <laughs> I just I kind of that's and it works for me. I, I know it may not work for other people, but it works for me. And the other thing is, I try and make my characters organic. To me, they're all very, very real. You know, I, they, when they say something. It actually comes because that's that's how I would have them. And they do say, if you ever met a writer, you're in one of the novels. And when I go to the pub tomorrow night with the old guys, because it, we, the, by the way, the world's always a safer place by 5.30 on a Friday because we've put it to rights. Um, however, when, you know, when I'm there with them, they've all been in my books and they've all died at different times in different ways. <laughs> And so when they go in, they say, how did I die this time? Was it a good death, you know, or have you killed me off yet? But one of them is, is the most fantastic resource. If you ever do anything, Matthew or, or Stephen, about railways, I was writing a book about World War II, and his name's Roger, by the way. I said, Roger, I need a train to get me from Oswestry in June 1943 to Falmouth. So he said, leave it with me. And he got back to me, he said, right, you'll get the whatever time train it was from Oswestry. You, you'll change trains in Wolverhampton. You will arrive there. Right? You, the, the carriages will be yellow and green livery. The engine that will pull you to Wolverhampton was a castle class. The one from Wolverhampton will be a king class. There'll be a first class and third class on the train. And there will be... Um, a restaurant car. So I wrote, wrote it. He said, but send me the chapter. I wrote it. He said, you got it wrong. I said, Roger, I did everything you said. He said, no, no. You use the Cove Castle as a train. I said, yes. He said, that one didn't start pulling the train, uh, pulling the, the on that service until 1944. You want the, and he gave me the name of the train. So I changed <laughs> it and so on. But that's the kind of detail you get from Roger. It's unbelievable. What a resource that is. It just well, gives you that little background, you know, but fascinating stuff. And uh, to, um, on Saturday, um, I've been a, sort of adopted by the East India Company reenactors, and they, they invited me to a war game convention on Saturday where those in Vanguard let me try on the mail armour, use the swords, get the guns, practice them. So... I've actually held virtually all the weapons I've ever written about, and they'll do it on Saturday as well. It's just, it's really fantastic that, you know, so I, and I've even got like, I noticed Matthew's got the same helmets behind his desk as I have, but I've also got the the sword, the Earl Marshall sword. And then my other little treat I've just treated myself to, I've just had made by a company from Leeds, the actual uniform that uh, Lieutenant Bromhead wore in Zulu. That's my favourite film. Um, so I've got the officer's uniform, 
got the sword. And on Saturday when I go, I'm going to wear it because they want me to. And they've got me a Martini Henry rifle, which is the rifle that Michael Caine used oh. in the film. So I actually um, actually test fired, um, uh, well, I fired a, a Martini Henry last year when I was doing, actually earlier this year when I was researching this 19th century novel. Um, I went and met up with some guys and like you're saying, like reenactors and people and, and had replica guns from the 19th century, but they had a, a real... Um, a nineteenth-century um, Martini Henry, which I fired. Yeah, it was amazing. Well, yeah, I've been to America. There's a place in um, Virginia called Fort Shenandoah. It's about the size of yeah. Rook, and it was bought by the reenactors. And I went there, um, and not only did I get to fire a musket, I actually got to fire a mortar. But I was also invited wow. to join a cavalry <laughs> regiment. <laughs> I said no, no. I said, but that was what ten years ago. So I said, no, I'm 64, so I think I'm a bit, a bit old for this. Um, but yeah, and when I went up to Hadrian's Wall, I live quite close to it. I was at Chester's, and the Second Augusta were there. Found out I was a writer, so they invited me back. Let me dress up in all the uniform, but I fired a ballista. Oh, nice! They, they wound it back, and they said, "We're not going to fully wind it back." I said, "Just a matter of interest. Why not?" He said, "We only did that once." And it went into an oak tree and they couldn't get it out because it went halfway through. So, so I fired a ballista as well. So I fired a crossbow. Um, it's just just the, the, those sides of it. I, you know, when I was at um historical writers conference in America at Texas, I was on a panel where we we're talking about writing in times of war because all mine have, have got the war theme. And I got the question, I think it was from Uruguay or somewhere, they said, why do you like war? I said, well, I don't actually like war, but I think war brings out the best and the worst in people. Yeah. And you can really show characters in the in extremists. Yeah. You know, you can show really horrible people who do really nasty things. And you can also show people who are incredibly brave. You know, so that's why I like writing about war, uh, just for the, the the soldiers. And I've had soldiers writing to me saying, uh, there's a gunnery sergeant who's now retired. And he said, Griffey said, what you do is, he said, that's what we all feel like when we're in Afghanistan or Iran or wherever. It's this idea of band of brothers and camaraderie and, and doing things for each other. He said, so, and I think military, a lot of military love my books, you know, especially the American military. So it's, it's great for me. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. You've kind of answered a few of our questions already there, Graf, before we even got to ask you them. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> what about this? Uh, well, before we go for Matthew, uh, number four, yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. why not? So, so um, do you watch? Oh, no, you go, go for that. Okay, so um, yeah. Well, you've written what 180 plus books. So one of the things that I find most difficult is not thinking of the period, or you know, I could come up with the period and come up with the sort of ideas, but the actual plot lines are sometimes difficult to come up with. You know, it's difficult to come up with something that's gripping. And how do you manage to come up with so many plots? If it's historical. I come up with an end that I want to get to, and then I give them a journey. And I was saying that my characters are organic. So the the, the book I'm right in the middle of now, I've done 60, 65,000 words, and they are normally aimed for about 90,000. So I've done about 60,000. It's about Knut, and I, I created this idea of a sword. So I'm following a lot of things that happened to Knut in the 11th century. Um, so, you know, the Vikings raided, and, and got and doing that. But I've had to come up with something now that 
and this is this is your books really, uh, Matthew, because it's about Benicia and Dira. Because okay, I've, yeah. I've, um, I'm, I've got a character who is called Edward of Billingham, but I'm going to have him descended from um, one of the last king. The last king of Dira was Ayala. Ayala, who was just murdered and there was no one after that. But I'm going to have him coming through, through the distaff side just so I can get a plot line in uh, about a talk that they had so that, that that will come in because I'm not quite at the end and I've got a little gap I need to fill. Yeah. So I came up with that by just going, I've got a great book there called Kings and Queens of England. I just And it's got every king who's ever been from pre, you know, Roman times. And I just found out about this, this guy. And I thought, well, if he died off, um, his family could have gone from, from, you know, your Ibarakum and gone up there. So that's how I come up with all these. I come up with little storylines and backstories for people. And again, that's one thing I've had a positive response from my readers. They like the subplots I create within a story and some of them they want me to expand on. I never do that, but they want me to, but I, I try and I just find it really helps with a plot to have a subplot that gives you a kind of, uh, it most makes it 3d, you know, because you've got, yeah. this subplot. but that's yeah. The plot line, you're, you're right. The characters are easy. It's coming up with a plot line and the keeping it's sustaining that interest in, in the, the reader, the minor page turners, my, they say that they get through my books really quickly um because they want to get to the end of it but then again there's some people who are reading them three and four times so the the plots um i i agree with you entirely matthew that's the hardest part of being a writer is getting a sustainable and believable plot that people will like yes. yeah. yeah that you don't repeat everything for um archer's crusade for lume that came about because i was i was doing about uh, King Edward, when he was the Lord Edward, his archer. And I discovered that when Lord Edward went to the Holy Land on crusade, he took an army, but they were stuck in Acre. So I don't know if you know this. What he did was he sent three men to the Mongols all the way across, you know, Persia. And, so, and they brought the Mongol army back. It was now all I knew was he sent the three men. They came back with an army, the bit in between. Yeah. That was fill your boots time, you know. You could just <laughs> I could almost make up what I wanted to. And it was and that was one of my favorite books because it was just such an unbelievable storyline. And which one which one's that? Because called the Archer's Crusade. And and there were three right. people and I, I, I changed the names to fit my characters as we all do, but it was just unbelievable that they got all the way across a land they'd never been to, went to the course of the Mongols, and they said, Okay, I'll come, lads, we'll bring my army. And they didn't win, but they brought his army. But that's and interesting. As a, so, of, as a result of that, the assassins sent an assassin to kill um, Lord Edward, and he was he was saved by Eleanor, his wife. You know, did all the Eleanor crosses. So that's it. Research he caught with stuff that's unbelievable. This was one that's, of the books you did for Lume. You said you Lume, uh, yeah, yeah. Just go back here. Uh, the the list of questions we've got. I just wanted yeah. to ask you. What are the pros and cons of the two approaches, like a traditional publisher and self-published? Because you were doing really well. So why did you decide to sign up with them at all? Because uh, it was early days. All oh, right, right. It was very early. I don't. I wasn't selling quite as many, but I was doing. I was obviously. I'd sold enough for them to headhunt me and and yeah. 
down to London. And I, I did it as an experiment with one book. And I suppose I was flattered that they said, oh, we'll get you a book tour. You know, we'll send you to Evesham and so on and things like that. And there was a lot of things. Then COVID hit. So the Evesham thing was knocked on the head. Um, and then they kept, I kept saying, will you write us another one? And I did it for another four books. But for me, self-publishing is the way, because first of all, I've got total control. If I make a mistake in a book, I can just unpublish it yeah. and republish it myself. Uh, my daughter, who works for me, all of my family work for me, by the way. My daughter does all the stuff for Audible books and works with WF Howe. So we're getting, they do all my new books, but they're now working their way through my back catalogue. And, and again, you don't always get that with publishers. I mean, uh, when one of the problems with Lume was they got a really good reader for the first book, my and this, my readers have told me this, and he read it fantastically. They saved money and got a really awful one for the second one, and people hated it. Now, I, I audition all my readers, the ones who are reading my Audible mm -hmm. books, and I've got control. I decide who they're going to be, yeah. and they're good readers, and, and that sells books for me. The covers, I have those designed myself. by, And again, they don't always work. Um You'll know yourself if you have anything slightly wrong on a cover, especially where it's a bow and arrow, then you'll get, I've got a guy in New Zealand, Jeff Boxall, who keeps saying, Griff, you're using, it's not a long bow you've used on the cover, but it's the nearest one my designers can get. But that's what I like about it. I've got the control when I publish, how much I charge for it and all of that. And for me, I wouldn't go back to being traditionally published, but, Again, I'm lucky I can make a living, more than a living. You know, there's five of us work for the company now. And, and I, I don't think you could do that necessarily if you were published by a traditional publisher. I mean, J.K. Yeah, Rowling well, can, yeah. but they're the only ones. So you know, it's for me, it's, it's, it's like, you know, it's like garlic bread. It's the future. You know, independent <laughs> publishing. And and again, things like this, the podcasting, I've, I've not done much, but I've done a couple of those. And that's kind of quite nice that you can do those and get a response from, from the readers instantly. It's, it's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Though. Next question. It's making, it's making, it's making question. me think about going back to self-publishing because I started self-published and then ended up being traditionally published. Again, a bit like you, you know, I was sort of doing okay, yeah. but you, you get – someone you know you get this the offer comes in and you think oh you know maybe that's the way to go and it, and it's been it's been great for me but every now and again i look and think you know if i'd sold the same number of books but self-published i'd made a lot more made a lot more money one million nine hundred eighty-eight thousand books i've sold oh it was too brilliant brilliant that's amazing it's yeah i say i'm not bothered about the money because it's but it, it is nice having a nice a nice income and no yeah, yeah. my grandkids um have got nice pensions <laughs> and yeah. it's from sword books limited you know that's where it's from which is lovely yeah as that's you say amazing. about the making a mistake i made a mistake in my new one which is get a publisher uh i called king alfred king arthur one part yeah just a terrible mistake i mean so embarrassed by it but like myself published books i could just go and fix that immediately but the publisher, I have to email the editor and then I have to wait and have replied and sort that out. And it's just because I'm so embarrassed, I want it fixed right now. And I can't. Yeah, no, so, well, that's it. That's it. If, if I make a mistake, I, I'm 
immediately. I really do yeah. not like it. You know, sometimes it's a genuine <laughs> mistake, you know. Another time it's not a mistake, like the reader who said, Griff, you've got them hunting rabbits in 1053. They weren't introduced until the Normans came. I pointed out the Romans brought them Exactly, up, you know, yeah. Yeah. And you're always right, but you didn't like to be pointed out. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So just there's a question. I don't think we've actually got this one written down, but I'm thinking the more talking about it, so you, you've obviously done very well um, independently published, self-published, and you've to the point that you've you've got your own company and people working for you and sort of you know running it because you've got so many um, yeah. books, so many, so much going on. So um, have you considered publishing other people's books or do, is that something you do already so i mean i know uh, at the no, moment it's, you're it's the, not something you're the, yeah. I, I have thought about that as an umbrella for for my family i mean i've got four grandsons and a granddaughter and i'm i'm hoping that some of those you know a couple of them at least will want to and then we could we could publish their books because again we've got the infrastructure my son's a, an accountant and he does the well, that's what i'm thinking you've got once you've got the infrastructure of the yeah, company sorted yeah, out is it something that lawyer, would, yeah. you know um and, and he mm. kind of he just yeah it at the moment um it's 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 keeping all four wheels on the ground rather than kind of you know taking off and but yeah so it it, it, it could it is a possibility that we do that i mean when when my son came we brainstormed the name for the company, by the way. We're coming up with all these names, and my son didn't like them. I said, well, how about Sword Books? And no one had got Sword Books. And I think it's a fantastic name. I mean, you've got Rock, Paper, Sword, so you thought so as well. You well, know. I've actually, uh, under my publisher name, I've got Broadsword Publishing. So oh, we're thinking along the same lines there. Kind of. Yeah, it just works, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's what the books are about, and it is kind of quite nice. So, yeah. Um, yeah. My time at the moment is I've, I've I had for the first time ever last month, I didn't publish a book. And that was the company decided that what they wanted me to do was to slow down. Right. Now, I didn't okay. I didn't slow down my writing. Yeah. But I just slowed down the publication rate because I'll be 74 in January. So it's kind of I'm aware. I mean, I feel fit as a butcher's dog, but I am aware that time is passing on and eventually i'll i'll slow down so i'm trying to get this longevity that once i have to stop writing for whatever reason that is you know um that i'll <laughs> i'll still have books that will be coming out if you, carry, if you carry on writing the speed you do for yeah. another 10 years or, yeah. or so and 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 then only publish half of those then they'll be able to publish for the like 50 years <laughs> after you years, you'll be publishing sorry. a book I know. Uh, you'll be publishing a book a year <laughs> That's my plan, Matthew. I'll be going. I'll be going. I'm sure Griff died. You know, like, another book. Twenty years ago, I got his hologram. I died five years ago. <laughs> we'll get Just... you on the podcast again. <laughs> Just no, on the. Just when you're talking about how the whole infrastructure you've got your whole family involved, does AI fright you? No. Not at all, no. No, no I, I, AI doesn't work. It, it, I just don't think that AI can can do what I can do. It can't actually have off-the-wall kind of leaps that you do. AI it can't write as quickly predictive. as you. Hmm? <laughs> it can't write as quickly as you. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> you, can I, I just tell you that this is a, a, a little story which might explain how I can write so fast. I was a teacher um, in an inner city school 
and I did a master's degree at the same time. And I wrote a 27,000 word thesis over three nights because I had 9,000 words a night. I came home from school. I'd got all this stuff, but I needed to get it in. And then, so that got me how to type really quickly. But then I, when I was a teacher, I always gave myself a class that was really kind of really good kids, but equally one that were, shall we say, challenging. And I had this challenging group of, of year nines, that's third year in all money. And they, they were out of the 18 of them, if they all attended, there was like 11 boys and the rest were girls. One of the boys could barely read. So what I did was I came up with a play story and I wrote the first episode, but I used their names and then they read. So all they had to do was look where their name was and say the one line. And at the end of the lesson, I asked them what they wanted to do for the next one. So I got them every single day. So I'd go home at night, write the next episode, photocopy it and give, give out those. So I was learning how to write dialogue because that's what it was really quickly and how to write quickly and also come up with a storyline. And then I said, well, did it was that? And luckily, you know, I never did a bad storyline and they quite enjoyed it. And it, the reading did improve, which is my point. But it just said, that's how I got to learn to write so quickly because I had to, because otherwise these kids are doing, you know, they're in off the walls. We've actually got a question that's uh, related to yeah. this. Yes. Cause it's on yeah. your website that you, you were a drama teacher. You'd written plays and stuff. Yeah. And there's even a bit about writing a screenplay. I think it's based the Second World War. So yeah, I, yeah, I did. I did all of that, and and it never got anywhere with any of them. Ah, right. That was going to be the question. If you had yeah, any interest, no. Yeah. I mean, we did. We did one. There was there was two of us wrote a screenplay for um, about our school, and we sent it to the BBC. And and they they said oh no this is ridiculous it, it, it couldn't have happened and and then there's been series since then which yeah, are just like yeah. ours you know what I mean so yeah they've wrapped it off probably yeah <laughs> I, I I do I do find it I went to uh, I've been to a few conferences where there's been agents there and I don't fit the profile for getting a, an edit you know, published in a kind of in the way I would want to, because when I went to America, they reckoned I was the wrong sex and the wrong color. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. they said, oh, they said, oh, you'll never get published. You're a man. You're writing historical novels. How can you, you know, get published? Mm, okay. So, um, no, I, I, I've written, I mean, I had a show done at the O2 in, uh, when it was the Millennium Dome in the year 2000. I took 30 kids and we wrote a rock musical and we did a rock musical at the O2. And I love doing that. And, that was again. That was helped me, I think, because I, I got to learn how to write, um, you know, for quickly. Yeah. Because when you do it with kids, and, and it, I, I tailored it. I, I pride myself on that. If any child ever came to me to be in one of my plays, they got a part, and it was a speaking part. You know, even if they were not very good at reading, I gave them a part, and they came on the stage or whatever. Because I just, I just. I'm very much a believer in inclusivity in that way. You know, that's yeah. I'm still doing it now. I mean, I'm going back in a, in four weeks' time. There's a school that's going through a hard time. They've asked me, will I just go and talk to the kids in the library? I won't sell a single book from that. I don't expect to. But it's kind of, I can go in there, talk to the kids about writing and how to write. And, and 
being self-published, it's something that they've all got computers. They don't probably don't use them for writing, but if I can tell them how they can use it for writing, I'm giving something back. And that's yeah. part of it. Yeah, inspirational. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I've done a couple of talks in schools and it's always really in colleges and stuff, and it's always really nice to be inspirational and you think you never know, you never. I actually just recently did um, a, like a, a had to adjudicate um, short stories and poems for an Eisteddfod near near here, and it was um, you know all these kids had entered all their you know the stories and everything. I went to the prize giving for the for the for the winners, and it's just brilliant to be able to say to the to the kids, you know that. Uh, ten. I remember when I was about the same age as them, sort of 11, 10, 11 years old. I won a a prize in writing. Never thought I'd be a writer, and then obviously now I'm writing full time. Yeah. To be able to say that to them, and think you can see in some of the kids, you know, that yeah. some of them they don't care. They've just done the the yeah, short yeah. story because they've been told to do it for school or whatever. But some of them, you can sort of see that little grain of something in their mind. They're thinking, yeah, maybe, maybe one day I could, you know, could do this. And you never I, mean, I survived for forty years as a teacher in tough schools in the northeast of England, and I did it by, as you found out, never shutting up because you know when you shut up. Then that gives me, but I learned how to enthuse, and yeah. I, I think that's what I try and do with the writing is, is try and use that enthusiasm and that excitement and so on. It, it, yeah. oh, it's absolutely infectious. I mean, your enthusiasm, I mean, we've never met before, and it, it's, yeah. it's great listening to you, you're very inspirational. Yeah, very I, I, my grandson, um, he sometimes stays with him when he does, he's reading now the books that I read when I was 11. I've actually managed to buy them online, all yeah. books, yeah. and it's lovely because he loves reading them. What, what books are those? Well, it's, it's A.R. Channel wrote these series of books called about World War Two, about four commandos called the Tunnel Busters and the famous, and and he's politically all incorrect, you know, the smoking <laughs> the heads off and so on. Yeah, but it was just, it was just for me, it was lovely stories about war. And again, I used to like reading about War One as a kid. Yeah, and, we all did, I think. And he and he, he still likes them now. You know that. Yeah, you know, I, I I was brought up on all Vic, the stamp Victor and Commando comics and all that. Yeah, that's, I, oh, I love that. You can still get that, by the way. Victor, the Eagle comic, the Eagle yeah. best comic ever made in this in the world. So yeah, we had the that. we had the publisher, or Jason Kingsley publishes it. Yeah, and we yeah, had that's right. Yeah. But the thing is now, kids don't read comics like that. If you look at the new comics, even Beano and Dandy yeah. are less word-rich than they were when I was growing up in the 1950s. You know, you can mm -hmm. see how they, they have far fewer words in the comics than they ever used to. Um, and I just love the English language. I just love, you know, the words that you can use. I had a reader wrote, said, oh, you've made a mistake here. You, you've, uh, you've, it's a typo. You've used the word parlous instead of perilous. Well, parlous was the word that came before perilous, and I think it's a <laughs> word, and I do like to use it. You know, yeah. um, my son was talking to me because he, he, I do some stuff on smash words. I don't yeah. know if you've ever used that. Yeah, I use that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. and it, it, he, but he does that for me because it's too much hard work. And he said, I mentioned this book, Dad, and I'm not certain about this word. You've used the word nonce. <laughs> he said, "Does it mean what I think it means?" And I said, "No, it means in a in a in a jiffy, in a moment." He said, "Oh, so I think so." We changed it, but it was a proper word. I shall yeah, be learning. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, but now it's been hijacked. <laughs> he can't use yeah, it. Doesn't, yeah. doesn't mean that now. <laughs> <laughs> <You> know, whoa. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
That's it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's going to be a few of those uh, conversations with my editors for the 19th century novel. It's just with the yeah. editors at the moment. And they've already sort of, I've got some feedback already. And so like, you can't use this word, you know, it's just not going to work. And, you know, it's words about, you know, derogatory words for people's skin colour and things and yeah. things that are really part of the story and it makes sense and they're accurate yeah, they, for the time. But, exactly, they use them. At but the... I, but I need to, you know, work out how to, how to, how to try to keep it authentic feeling, but sort of not, I don't know, not um, upset too many people, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it is hard. It's, I mean, when I went to um, to America, one of my conferences, I, I stopped at Philadelphia and uh, uh, one of the agents there, she was Afro-American and she opened my case and she said, you're a writer? She said, you ought to write about slavery. Well, I took out, I happened to have a book called Vikings. I've written about slavery. They're not slaves. You know, and it's that kind of thing. Yes, they were slaves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The whole thing about the Vikings was that, you know, that they took slaves. That's why they came to England for slavery. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, it's this whole political agenda that's out there, isn't it? It's just, I, I, have you heard that they're, they're trying to sanitise James Bond? Oh, they're trying to sanitize everything, aren't they? Now, I mean, you yeah, get, everything's going the same way. Bond is like Roald Dahl, you know. You yeah. can't sanitize Roald Dahl and James Bond. They were of a time and a period, and it worked. People who try and change and, history, you can't change history. Yeah, I don't understand. I, I don't understand the, the the logic behind it because I understand there's things that are offensive and people don't want to read now. But then, if you don't want to read it, just don't read it. You, you don't need to sanitize it and change it. Just leave it but, as it was. And if you don't like it, don't don't read it. You, you, have you seen the film City Slickers? You know, yeah, the years ago. Film, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've sent, they've taken out a whole scene, not a scene. There's a scene in it where Judge Reinhold has been, he's got the gun and he's going mad because Billy Crystal's going to end. And they, they edit it from, he's got the gun there, and they say, so that's it, now off you go. And they've just cut out a whole chunk of it because it wasn't politically correct. And, you know, they offended somebody. I agree, yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's hard, yeah. Griff. It's hard to be a white man, especially a white man with a beard. Yes. <laughs> it's all three of us. Yeah, white men with beards. This is, we should just have a new... You've got hair. Now, come on. I, I know, Matthew. Hi. Hi. Yeah. I got one up on us. That's true. That's true. But uh, we could we could set, set up a, a new podcast. It's called Three White Men with Beards. <laughs> we'll be, we can just rant about, about the modern world. Now we all want to live in the past. The little rant I will have about self-publishing. Now, this really does annoy me. You know Amazon will do hard covers of your books? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Except, have you tried to do it? I've got one, yeah. Yeah, I've got one. Have you tried to buy one of your own hard covers in England? Uh, It was ages ago. I think I did have trouble with it. Right now, you can't do it. You've stopped doing it. Since Brexit, if you can publish publish your books in hardcover... But yeah. you can't buy them in England. I, I remember I couldn't even buy a proof copy at, uh, yeah, that's at the right, time. Yeah. Uh, but it never sold anyway, so I never did oh, no, it I've, I've sold quite a few in America, my print books. Um, and I, I have people, I mean, I like to have them because I give a lot of books away. When I go to this war game convention on Saturday, I'll take about 20 books. Yeah. Sell them. I just give them away, sign them, you know, because they're the first in the series and it's almost like seeding a, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, they might buy all the rest. You know, then. Yeah, and they love yeah. it. People yeah. love it. You know, love it. Anyone loves a signed book. You know, and it's, but uh, I wanted the hard copies because they are nice. You know, it's yeah. nice. The big solid can't buy them, 
and and Amazon said, "Oh, we're working on it. We're working on it." Well, they we need to work a bit harder, you know. <laughs> so I I can buy it through the German site, except I can't buy it through the German site because you, they won't deliver to England. Yeah. Well, they did in the World War Two bombs coming out. I delivered V2s I played to. <laughs> oh dear. You can strap your books to a V2. Send them over there. Oh right. So moving on. Yeah, we yeah. probably should let's, let's move on from that. Um you could you will carry on this conversation tomorrow in the pub with your mates. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Well, that's they will you don't need... know what I was doing. Yeah, they, they were I was gonna say you don't need the podcast, you, you no. you've got it there, you know. So Going back, I'm just thinking that people listening to this, lots of people listening to this are going to be aspiring writers or people yeah. that are already writing, but or, you know, they're interested in the publishing process. And I think pretty certain, I mean, we've had people like, we've had Bernard Cornwell and Ben Kane on, so we've had some very successful traditionally published writers. Um, I think probably of the uh, independently published, self-published, you've got to be the most successful um, writer we've had on. So just thinking about the whole process and everything, I mean, you, you mentioned before about the covers. I think you said... Um, that you've got some people doing your covers, but how do you go about the cover design? Do you how how much involved are you in the process? And give us this a is this is my favourite cover. This one, this is called Saxon Dawn. Saxon Dawn. Okay. And what he did was this. Uh, it's good. They're just down the road, Newton Aircliffe, but they're, they're international design for races. They are. And he said, "What do you want?" And I said, "Well, what I'd like is um, there's a wolf in this one." And the wolf, and they call the wolf brethren in these sack in these Saxon books, and I said, and the man with the sword. So they very much come up with what I want when they can get it, because they. So that's how I come up with that one. And again, um, with, the, with this one, this is Varangi, and this was again. Um, they said it's supposed to be a house car. It's not exactly right, but the character looks absolutely perfect you know what i mean so so so, so do you so so do you approach them and say i want to have a, a warrior with an axe on the front yeah and, yeah and a, and a shield and no not quite as detailed as that i i, I say what i would like because I, I normally talk about a series and i say you're yeah. gonna have to get maybe 15 20 covers for this one so sometimes they say oh we, we we can get images like and they'll come up with one and so if we can get the right theme, um, then so what I do is I say what the book's about. And then they send me one, a, a draft. And I say, now we, what we do is we show it around the company and we said, no, we don't like that. We do like that. Uh, and then they, they come back with us and they refine it. But what I did like was this, the fact that they've come up with them. And, and all my books are the same. You get Griff Hosker at yeah, the, the top, same. exactly yeah. the same same font, font. and then yeah. underneath you get and it's just product identification yeah. you, you can see if you're going uh, you know through amazon you can see my books instantly you know you yeah. know yeah. they're going to be well, and that's that is kind of quite nice and they I, change I got, the colors and so on but it does work yeah I, I i've gone for the same when my publishers have gone for the same and putting my name at the top and quite big as well and i remember i think it was giles christian was joking um, about when yeah. one of my books came out and said look how big your, your name is on there like <laughs> sort of making out i'm being sort of big-headed but I think it's it's the it's it's the brand. The like, brand you want people yeah, to see yeah. you're the brand. You know, I think it's important because when people yeah, when you change right. 
we, we're jumping from now, like myself and 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 you've obviously done a lot of jumping eras and maybe genres. You want people to know that the book is is you. You know, you're the person they want to read. Well, it's what my son says. He said, "Dad, people buy books because they're Griff Hosker books." Exactly. Yeah. There, there, there will be people who will go and look at my book just because of my name. And and that's that's really, you know, flattering. The same as, it, you know, they do it with other authors who are far, far bigger and far, far better than me, like Bernard Como. But I know I've got dedicated readers who have read, some have read every single book I've ever written. Yeah. And that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, that's you know, and, and they, they've told me this and I've met some of them. When I was at this war game convention last year, about half a dozen people came up to me and said, oh, I live locally. I've been trying to meet you for ages. Um, I said, would you like a copy of a book? She said, I've got all your books, you know, and they, but they just wanted the, the chance to meet me. And that's, that's really, it, really nice. You know, when you, it is you really actually meet me, you know, it's just, I just talk to them and I'll, I'll be doing it on Saturday. I know there'll be people there who, you know, want to see me and that's fine. Uh, another story about a reader, by the way, this is, I don't think this is what you want to hear, but when I went to New Zealand a few years ago, there's a guy there, and he'd never read a book in his life. But for some reason, he liked the cover of my Viking books and he bought one and he, he, that's all he ever read. So when he found out I was going to New Zealand, he said, um, can I meet you? So I said, sure. Me. So I met him and his family, all his family came to Wellington, this restaurant, took me to his house and they said, um, do you like Lord of the Rings? I said, well, oh, it's my favourite book. He said, I know somebody at the Peter Jackson studio. Would you like a tour? Wow, brilliant. So I got a tour of it. So yeah, nice. Anyway, about lovely, lovely people. It emails me all the time. About three years later, I got an email. I said, I hope you don't think it's presumptuous, but my wife's just had a, a baby. Do you mind if we name him Griff after you? Wow. So this is wow. someone who'd never read a book. And now they do, but that's the kind of loyalty yeah. that you get. And again, another one, um, last year I got an email from a reader in Australia who said, my nine-year-old loves your books and I've got him some covers. Would you send him a Christmas video message? So I said, yeah, sure. So I just did, you know, hi, Paul, his name was. And, this, you know, and the, the guy, he did that video him, the, the little lad, he just, he goes, <laughs> The guy's a legend. So, I mean, I've got readers who go from a nine-year-old there and also in New Zealand is Catherine, who's an 88-year-old who buys one book a month and it's normally one of my books. And she's, she's just so lovely. You know, she, sends, she, said, she said, I was in Wellington Library the other day and I found this book and it's got names of some uh, 13th century uh, York prostitutes. And I wondered if you'd like to use them in your books. Well, I have to say... <laughs> If you think you had a problem, Matthew, with using those words, these words were. <laughs> so I said, "Thank you, Catherine. That's really nice, and I'll, I will try to do that if I can." It's funny. It's funny about I've got quite a few um, readers in in Australia and New Zealand that are very dedicated as well, and I think um, some of the some, they really like this genre. There's people that really love, love it, and there's one particular lady in in Australia, I think it is, um, who messages my Facebook. Page every time I post about anything that's not to do with writing, she's like, "Why aren't you writing? Get on and write the next book because I'm not getting any younger, and I want to know what happens next." I don't well, write yeah, as I, fast as you. This is the problem. Well, no, I did that. I said I, I sent an email saying I was going to be, I wasn't going to be publishing a book a month, and I got a lot of emails saying, "Why not? How dare you? How dare that's you? Right, how dare down. you? You know, 
Well, they'll, they'll all be coming out, trust me. It's just I'm trying to pace myself, you know, and get the books out as, as a reasonable rate. So, I mean, I've got the books now ready um, for until about February already written. Um, I'm editing the February book at the moment, and so I'm writing the March book, and that's the way I work. And it it, it can be quite difficult actually when you when you then get one of my wife edits, and then my daughter also edits for House, and they come back, and it's like three months since I wrote it. And said this character you've used, I said, well, you know, <laughs> that was three months ago. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's terrible. And with traditional publishing, it's even slower. You know, so I know that obviously the the the, the um, House is sort of traditional publishing, the audio stuff. But yeah, this um, the, they come back months and months later. And we've, yeah. we've talked about this before, both Stephen and I. That um, you'll be writing. I'm writing. Book number ten of the Benicia Chronicles now, yeah. which is my longest series, which yeah, seems yeah. pales into insignificance <laughs> against yours, Griff. But that's my longest one, and I've just published book three of another series, and I've just finished writing, and I'm just doing the edits of the of this first book in the series, or the or a new one set in the 19th century. So trying to do that sort of mental juggling between yeah. the three things, and so a publisher sort of said, "Well, we're going to send you the edits for yeah. this Western one." Um, yeah. You know, in, in a in a couple of weeks, and then I'm thinking shit, I'm gonna have to sort of basically move off of what I'm doing and set you know set aside. Some you, time you went to, to America to do the research for the Western one, didn't you? I, I did, I did some of that. Yeah, I've done a, a lot of research over the years, watching movies and reading books. But yeah, actually, did you get to Tombstone. No, I didn't. No, I had to. It was a lot of. Um, if it if it was up to me, if I was traveling on my own, I would have visited different places. But um, I was traveling with the wife, and we were with another couple as well. So it was a lot of. Um, uh, negotiation. negotiation beforehand of like what we could do, and so we did do you know, a couple I've, of cowboy I've been, I've been type on things. Two ranches, one of them. Do you remember a series called The High Chaparral? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's closed now, but the there is a ranch there that you could the, the ranch they they filmed it on. You could go there, and I went there um, to go riding, and it was just really good. But they had a cowboy there called Joe Barr as a country singer, and I, I've got myself a, a colt, a replica colt. I said I need a holster. So I said to him, uh, I'd like a, a holster. He said, oh, I said, no problem. Go to Tombstone. So I, was, uh, I said, I was going to go to Tombstone. She said, go down to Bald Pete's. So I said, okay. And she, just tell him Joe sent you. So I drove into Tombstone, saw where they did the OK Corral. And then I walked down to Bald Pete's. It was a pawnbroker's. And I walked in. There's all these guys smoking their heads off. And all around the wall was gun after gun after gun. And you looked at me, you know, this Englishman. They said, who are you? You know, uh, well, I always put on this English. I always go, hello, as Johnny going, I'm English. <laughs> um, I always do that. I said, I, I'm English and I'm, I'm here looking for a, a holster, please, and, and uh, some spurs if you've got them. Um, and he said, who sent you? I said, Joe Barr. He said, what does Joe Barr do? I said, he's a cowboy. He said, okay. He said, here, you can have that holster and those spurs. He said, it's for uh, $35. No negotiation. So I just took them and ran. But it was <laughs> a great place to go, is what I'm saying. It's, it really is authentic when you go there. And also, if you go to a place called Old Tucson, John Wayne had his own studios there at Old Tucson, and it burnt down. But you can still go around, and that's where he filmed Rio Bravo, El Dorado, Rio Lobo. Oh, wow. a, if you ever see a cowboy film with a, a hill like that in the background, it's, they filmed it, John Wayne's, a load of TV series we filmed there. And it was just wonderful to walk around somewhere. And it was all, all the films I've seen because 
again, like you, Matthew, I'm a cowboy buff. I just love the idea of being a cowboy, and, and he's just, just great. So I'm, I'm, I envy you your journey around the round the West. Well, it's amazing. Well, it sounds like I envy you. you I mean, we're, we're a little bit in um, – we did Dallas-Fort Worth because we were in Texas for a bit. Um, and the old stockyards there and saw some longhorns and things. And then we, we ended up going up to the Pacific Northwest and went to Oregon and we stayed in a ranch in Oregon and did some riding there. And it was a proper working ranch. It was great. It was really, really great. But um, it sounds like I need to send you um, the Western where I've got some uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I'll do that. I've got a friend a of mine. He's another writer, uh, Rex Griffith, uh, Griffin, and he writes um, Westerns as well. Um, I was with him again at this conference. Lovely guy. He lives in Oklahoma and he's part Cherokee. I also met a Cherokee Indian chief there who's 86 and also a writer. And he said, oh, oh wow. I have just published my, my only book. He said, I only wanted to get one done. He said, I won't be yeah. writing anymore. And he said, but he, I just, I thought it's 86. And he wrote his, his book there. So it was, uh, I've, I've got quite a few contacts, uh, the American uh, over in America. I've got one of my beta readers is an American and he reads everything. Uh, he's he's a lovely guy, but he, he tends to say it's all wonderful. <laughs> yeah, well. not what you necessarily want in a beta reader. He, yeah. It works wonderful. Um, although he will point out when I make, plot glitches which is uh, was nice because he gets them before they're actually yeah saves it yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah so well i'm we it feels like we could talk pretty much forever with you griff or maybe you could talk forever i don't know maybe <laughs> you and me <laughs> sorry <laughs> man, sorry lads <laughs> steven steven normally moans about me talking all the time but it's great to have a guest on that talks and you talk so eloquently about everything and you've got so much to, to you know interesting stuff to it's, say, it's so. really inspiring graph it really is i mean yeah i just want to get this finished and go and start writing just to try <laughs> and get anywhere close to you but i mean i, I know I, as soon I, as we finish this i'm going for a beer i'm not doing any writing tonight but you're both young lads you've got plenty of time <laughs> i don't know i i, I I'm I'm thinking, man. Maybe I need to go back to self-publishing. You know, this is crazy. Yeah, Why am I yeah. doing the traditional publishing model? This but is. But you mad. could do both. Why can't you do both? Well, that's what I'm doing. Well, hopefully, I th I think that maybe is going to be the way I'll I'll I, th I think I might have to go. At the moment, I mean, my contract with the traditional publisher is that I have to offer them the 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 next book that I write. Like at the end of the contract, it's like the next book you write, you have to offer it to us. So. That means I can't just go and self-publish straight away. I'd have to give it to them and give them a month to read it and tell me, you know, you want to make me an offer. But yeah. I could I could do that and then self-publish it, yeah. You know, you know, my contract didn't. My contract with Luma Endeavour, um, I just, this, I think they were they were a bit wary. So that I, I said I would write them three books, a three-book series. That's all I said. And then at the end of that series, they came to me. So I've now written two more books in the series that they had. Um, and I'm hoping that the fact that they've virtually given away the first five will help. The yeah, keep the sales going. So, yeah. so are you, are you self-publishing self the, the later ones in the series then? Yeah. I've, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, so the last one that they had, uh, I can't remember what it was now, but I've done two since then, which is about William Wallace, um, but he's following on from, from the other series. One was called The Hunts. Um, uh, and, and so it, basically it's uh i didn't have such a tight contract matthew yeah so. well i mean i don't have to accept their offer but i need to offer it to them first so yeah really? it's sort of but anyway it'll be interesting to see uh definitely it's food for thought and definitely something in the back of my mind i've been thinking about for a while so maybe, uh, maybe I've also got, there's at least three people i've got into writing one of them 
was uh, a teacher who a friend of mine who worked with him said, oh, he, he wants to get published. I told him how to self-publishing. After two years, he packed up his job as a teacher and he now writes. And another one was a, a teacher colleague, couldn't get published. I told him how to self-publish. And then the other one was this guy in America who was an ex-Air uh, Force colonel. And he asked, I mentored him for a couple of years. And I, actually this year I went over and met him at the Historical Writers Conference. Lovely fella, really is nice. And he writes kind of uh, Revolutionary War stuff and things like that. And they're a bit bodice rippery, but they're you know, entertaining. And he just told me um, four weeks ago that he'd been, he's now, he got the Florida Writer of the Year Award, the Golden Globe. Wow for his writing. And then yesterday he said, he's now got someone interested in doing a, a film scripts. Wow. One of his books. I did write back and say, look, I know lots of people who've, somebody's bought the film rights, then sat on them and not done yeah. anything. Yeah. 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 Still, it's nice to have it. And it's, it's nice to have it. Well, yeah. It is, Will. Yeah. I'd love it. I'd love it if somebody came along and said, we'd like to make a film of Dragonheart. You know, we think it'd make a good scene. Yeah, fine. You, do you, and I, I wouldn't even get upset when they made a mess of it like they did of, you know, quite a few series. Yeah, we wouldn't name names. Uh... As long as you don't do a brave heart, I don't care. <laughs> oh, I like that. So, well, we, we always end up asking our guests uh, the same couple of questions to okay. finish off. So the first question is um, uh, is me. I asked the first one, and it's um, basically double-barreled question what have you been reading recently and what have you been watching recently reading this it's called norse male uh, myths and tales i tend to read non-fiction and this is research for my books um and it's a fantastic book my nephew bought it for me at lindy's farm and it just basically goes through all the you know the sword and the brand stock and all the all the, the legends so that's what i read i only ever read fiction Love getting this wild get off. All oh, right, yeah, that's yes, Vi I saw that. That looks good. Yeah, yeah. Viking ah, it's okay. and sagas. It's yeah. a bit, it's a bit light, but it's worth a, it's worth a look. It's quite cheap as well. Well, Bernard Cornwall gave me some advice when I started writing, which is never read what you're writing. So I don't read historical fiction when I'm writing. Exception is if someone says, "Will you do a review for my book?" and I'll do that, and so I'll stop writing for however long it takes me, read the book and write a review. Or when I go on holiday, I normally take a Bernard Cornwall or Ben Kane or a Matthew Harvey, uh, take that on holiday with me so I can actually read. But I read it far quicker than I write. So I'll read the book in because, I, I, you know, I know I haven't got a long time to do it. Yeah. What, I, what am I watching? I watch an awful lot on TV of documentaries. I watched the one the other night about um, the princes in the tower. Jury's okay. out on how good or bad it was. I like watching stuff about Egyptian things like that. Uh, I, I watch a, a lot of old, um, co old comedies I like, but a, a lots of things like Old Lewis and, and Inspector Morse and things like that. Just because I find I can look at the characters and and see how they got plotted for TV. Because I'm aware that I use a lot of dialogue in mine, so that's what I do. And then the other thing is, I don't really call it watching. Every day, I spend an hour playing Age of Empires. All right. Okay. Again. Yeah. Okay. Which I find therapeutic. It gets my blood pressure down quite dramatically. But also, <laughs> it gives me ideas. You know, you can be the Assyrians or whatever, and you can you can look at characters and so on. So I do I do kind of quite enjoy 
um, being do that. So watching TV, it's all reruns or documentaries or it's on a computer. And as for reading, it's anything that's nonfiction. This, the walls around me, are partly my books, but also it's all the Osprey books I use to research and so on. Um, and just, I find them fantastic. And just Yeah, we love those. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that, I hope that answers your question, Matthew. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does. Okay, well, this is the last. Again, it's a two-part question. So what have you been listening to recently? And do you listen to music when you write? I don't listen to music when I write. I can only work in here. So what, I, what I've been listening to is this. Uh, I'm afraid I'm a child of the 60s and 70s. For me, that was a golden period. Yeah. Um, I love the singer-songwriters, people like Carol King. You know, I love Elvis. Um uh, Willie Nelson, love all those people, you know, uh, country and Western, great country and Western. I listen to in the car, Planet Rock, because I, I love <laughs> rock music. Yeah, I've I, got it set to that as well. Yeah, yeah me too. People like that, you know, just really you know, drive it. The last concerts I saw, we go to Vegas every five years from one of my big birthdays, and we saw uh, Grand Funk Railroad. You might know them. They, had, they were one hit wonder. We're an American band. Yeah, yeah. And I saw them at uh, in, in, in Las Vegas and they had the original lineup with just a new singer. And it was just, it was unbelievable. I absolutely loved it. So yeah, uh, that's what I listen to. So I do listen to music. I can't listen to it when I'm writing. Um, and I just, I'm so focused in the zone in this, this, Little one, but in a while, do as I go down, I say, Alexa, play me James Taylor, and we'll play you some music by James Taylor and similar artists, you know. And then I, <laughs> so we get a lot of that. So, and then of course, when the grandkids come round, it's things like play the Christmas songs. So, uh, I'll, I will do Christmas to Death between now and Christmas. And when it comes on, I will watch my favorite Christmas films, White Christmas. I've already seen um, Wonderful Life, and then Christmas doesn't start till I watch Die Hard, and that's on next week. <laughs> yeah, until, well, until he falls from the Nakatomi Tower. That's right. Yeah, that's the... Well, you, you're going to be happy enough because me and Matthew have just written a song for Christmas, a, a rock, paper, swords Christmas song. So that'll be out next oh, week, oh, hopefully. Forward to that. Yeah, keep an eye uh, out. One of my readers is um, a very guy called Jamie Coupe. Good he's so. a podcast, but he he's got a house in Bordeaux and a house in London, and a house in Bath, and he's a mentor for songwriters, and he's written, he's been in, involved in a lot, so that's where he makes his money. But he was telling me that he read my English Night series, and it inspired him to change the way he ran his company, right. and he used the wow. ideas. I said, well, it's, it's not medieval England. He said, yes, but he looks at how the characters dealt with different ones. And he just sent me an email the other day about how he's... So I, I was podcasted from him. He did exactly what you're doing, which is why I knew what was going to be happening. And he did a podcast for me for his... Uh, he's about well-being, his, his podcast. So right. quite interesting. Excellent. Well, yeah, that's been great to have you on, Graf. It's been anytime. amazing. Anytime. And um, I'm I'm looking forward to um, you know speaking to you maybe in a couple of years time. You've written another 300 books or something. Yeah. <laughs> I well, still can't. I still can't get my head. And, and do my. I, I'm very creative. I'm going to start cooking because that's that's the other thing I love doing is cooking. Ah, brilliant. Well, I I still can't get my head around the fact that you've written 185 books in 13, what, like 13 years, years, 12 years. 
That's crazy. You've written uh, Camilla has his works out one year wrote 17 books in a year. <laughs> I just I just can't understand how you could do it. But uh, yeah, more power, about, more power to you. I just yeah, thousand words. You know, I mean I've, I've, I think one of them crusaded was 120,000 words because I just couldn't. Yeah. You yeah, just have yeah. and then another couple have been about it. See when Lume got me, they said, Oh, we want a book between eighty and eighty-five thousand words. And and apparently it's because some of the writers just kept going on and on. And eventually they said, you just write whatever you want to, because they realized that I've got in my head. Yeah, you know how to do it. You, you, you know how to bring a story yep. to a conclusion and how to end yeah. it. Yeah, it's my it's my bane, actually, is that my books tend to be about 120 to 150,000. I t- tend to, like, you know, they, they, they end up being bigger than I want. I want them to be about 100,000, but they always tend to to get a bit longer. And then once you're there, it's hard to. I, I just learned how to do that as a teacher, you know, to just roughly get it right in my head. But it's a, that's that's I suppose the only thing that's a gift. And everything else is just sheer hard work. You don't. It's all down to. I started work when I was 15 in a factory because my dad said you're not having the summer off, and you left school at 15 when I was 15. So I started work when I was 15. So when I packed up teaching, I thought I can't sit and do nothing, and. Writing was just the perfect thing to do, and and you know I am a bit. I and I admit it. I am OCD. I have a, a spreadsheet that tells me when I've got done my five thousand words. So do you so, just stop at five thousand? You just give up? No, no, I can go on. Yeah. Uh, my record is. I think I wrote eight thousand words in one day because it was just really flowing. Yeah, flying out. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, um, and I've even written on Christmas Day. Like, got up five o'clock to the sun. <laughs> Uh, to the Christmas dinner and then worked um, and then I found it if I do if I ever have a, a drink when I'm when I'm writing I know it when I'm editing and you go God what was I thinking you know <laughs> when it comes to the edits then you can get rid of all that that's what I regard it well, that's that's what Hemingway used to say didn't he write drunk edit sober yeah when you're saying that uh, Matthew about how you get it, I get five thousand words down, but those five thousand words aren't necessarily the five thousand that will be in the book at the end. Because when I come to edit it, I find there's plot lines I can develop and there's characters I can develop. So I end up on my first edit when I go back changing quite a bit, and then when I do my second edit, that's more of the find the mistakes. And then by the time my wife looks at it. And she does three edits for me. By the time we get to the end of that, we've done our five edits. We've actually got something which is is a, a better structured book than when I did the 5,000 words. But I always think you can get rid of words. It's easy getting rid of them, isn't it? You can redact mm. them. But, you know, trying to find them later on, is, is that's a bit more difficult. Well, it's been wow. truly inspirational, Griff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so hopefully our listeners... Not to you guys, it really has. I love the fact, Matthew, that your study looks just like mine because my wife's always saying, there's too many books in here. You've got too many swords, too many helmets, you know. Um, there's my helmet for... Oh, yeah. Nice, yeah. nice. Zulu, yeah. That's the one for Zulu <laughs> for the weekend. So and the sword's over in the corner, so... But it's oh, lovely yeah. talking to you guys, and thank you for giving me this chance to. Oh, thanks to for coming on. Oh, yeah. Thanks, thanks for coming on. It's brilliant, brilliant. and um, yeah, look forward to seeing what you come up with next. And um, 
Yeah, I might send you the uh, the Western if you're up for yeah, uh, you've, giving it a read. You've got my email address. Just send it to me and I'll, I'll kind of edit it. Because uh, the, the East India Company want me to write a book about the soldiers of the East India Company. So that's going to be one of my projects. But they have access to the East India Company offices. Oh, right. wow. So that might be quite interesting. So on Saturday when I see them, part of it is going to be, look, I've started, I've written the first chapter, but now I need to take it a bit further. So that'll be kind of quite an interesting one to actually have a go at. So. Oh, brilliant. Well, best of luck with that. Yeah, good luck for the future. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks very Cheers. much. Thanks, Griff. Bye. That's it for today's episode. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please take a moment to leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on and don't forget to subscribe. Let us know if you have any questions or things you'd like us to cover in future episodes. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash rockpaperswordspodcast and we are also on X at rock underscore swords. You can find out more about our books on matthewharfey.com and stephenamackay.com. The theme music is written and performed and copyrighted by us. Until next time, on Rock, Paper, Swords, it's goodbye from me, Matthew Harfey. And it's goodbye from me, Stephen Abakai. And remember, whatever action and adventure you have going on in your life, be kind. Stay safe. And happy reading.